Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I'm in my office today, this morning. It's another beautiful day in LA. And I'm super excited about my conversation with our guest today. We're going to talk about a topic that many of you guys requested, which is erectile dysfunction. And uh, when you guys requested this topic, I I've immediately think about Natalie. I attended her presentation a few months ago at Center for Healthy Sex, and it was full of great content. So I'm super excited that she accepted uh, my invitation and uh, joined us today during our interview. Uh, we explore some of the main causes of erectile dysfunction. How can people improve their condition? Uh, what are some of the treatments? What are some of the prognoses? And what can you do to address this issue if that is something that you struggle with? And even if, if you're not necessarily experiencing erectile dysfunctions, but there are, you have some issues around uh, sustaining erection, this would be a great episode for you to kind of learn more about uh, some of the tools that you can use. Natalie Feingood Goldberg is a certified Los Angeles sex therapist and licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in sex therapy and psychotherapy with a subspecialty in erectile dysfunction. Working with individuals and couples, Natalie offers therapy services at her private practice in Beverly Hills, as well as running a healthy sexuality group for recovering addicts and alcoholics at Recovery Integrity in West LA. 
Natalie was formerly a clinical associate at Center for Healthy Sex in West LA, as well as having previously worked at Cliffside Malibu, a dual diagnosis inpatient drug and alcohol rehab. Natalie was born and raised in LA and is familiar with the variety of pressures that come with living in LA. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Natalie. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm honored to have Natalie Feingood Goldberg in our episode today, and we're going to talk about erectile dysfunction. Natalie, welcome to our show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you on uh, this show. As I shared with you earlier, that I saw your presentation a few months ago on this topic, and it was fantastic. It was full of great content. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Okay, fantastic. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to ask about a few questions that I always hear my clients are kind of concerned. So I know one of your area of specialty is erectile dysfunction. So let's let us go ahead and start with kind of explore how do erections you normally occur? So an erection is a function of blood flow at its most basic level. You know, when there is a combination of psychological stimuli and physical stimuli, um, when you're younger, you pretty much just need psychological. But as you get older, you need the physical as well. You know, blood starts to flow to the genital area, starts to flow to the penis, which leads to an erection. Uh, the smooth muscle accumulates the blood and it becomes rigid. And then, you know, that is your erection, essentially. And I'm just kind of curious because something that I hear from my clients a lot is that sometimes they say that they are psychologically aroused, but physiological arousal is not there. Is that something that's common uh, for the clients that you see? So this is one of the biggest misunderstandings about erectile dysfunction, um, which is once a male reaches around age 25, which by all standards is, is relatively young, but like from an evolutionary standpoint, not so young anymore. Um, when a male reaches around the age of 25, you know, give or take five years, obviously, you know, it's different for everyone. They start to require much more physical stimulation in addition to psychological stimulation. So, like, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's it's possible that gone are the days that just thinking about your partner turns you on. Um, for a lot of men, once they reach that point, thinking about your partner might create some blood flow, but it may not be enough to create a full enough erection for intercourse or penetration. And so at that point, there has to be some sort of physical contact as well in order to get a, a hard enough erection to, to do those things. So from what I'm hearing, it sounds like in most people, it's a combination of needs to be combination of both. So absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, particularly when you're no longer a teenager, basically. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Know, it's, it's, it's not enough to just think about the one that you lust after. There has to be some physical contact as well. Okay, and I was just curious that I hear sometimes some of my friends, some of my clients, they, they're kind of confused about what is erectile dysfunction. What are some of the criteria that someone needs to meet in order to be qualified for that diagnosis? 
Yeah, so, you know, it, it is one of those things where the, the term gets thrown around a lot. You know, if somebody is unable to get an erection once, they may freak out, oh my God, I have erectile dysfunction, you know, oh my God, what do I do? And the reality is, is like, you know, like most things, just because you have a bad day doesn't mean you have depression. So, you know, the criteria according to the DSM at this point is that 75 to 100% of the time, so the majority of the time, you must have difficulty getting an erection, maintaining an erection, or maintaining an erection long enough to complete sexual activity. You know, so for most of my clients, you know, I ask them on a scale of 1 to 10, how often is this a problem? And if if they say, you know, for every 10 times that you have sex, you know, seven of them, it's a problem, then we're talking about legitimate, you know, diagnosis criteria. If they say, well, it's happened to me once, how many times have you had sex? Oh, probably 30. You know, then that, it's not necessarily the full-on criteria for the diagnosis. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, 75% is like significantly higher than what people think. Right. It's, it, it, you know, for the official diagnosis, it is a really significant amount. That's not to say that it's not incredibly distressing for men when it happens once. Um, you know, so obviously I am happy to work with those men and help them. But I think for a lot of them, it's very normalizing to hear, oh, you know, this is common. You know, this isn't, you know, this isn't a significant issue until it's happening every time or almost every time. And one thing that I often hear that uh, some people are confused about is that do you need to be struggling everywhere? Like meaning that when you're masturbating and when you're with partner or if you have issues with your partner only like a sustaining erection with your partner, still it is an erectile dysfunction. So, I mean, according to the DSM criteria, they say complete sexual activity which, you know, could be interpreted either way, whether that's by yourself or with a partner. It's a question that I always ask because oftentimes what can happen is if the person is having difficulty with masturbation in addition to partner-related sexual activity, then it's often an indicator that something organic might be happening Whereas if the problem, if they don't have the problem while they're masturbating and you add in the element of a partner, there's usually an element of some of the psychological pieces of performance anxiety or anything, if there's anything relational happening that's interfering with their arousal. So it's a question that I ask more for not necessarily, or more for like the diagnosis or diagnostic purposes to better understand like what are the factors contributing to it. But as far as, you know, yeah, as as far as your question of, you know, does it require having a partner or not? Yeah, it's it's sort of, uh, yeah, hard to say. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I get that. And I think it's a good segue to the next question that I had in mind, that what are some of the physiological and psychological things can cause someone that stroke that cause someone to kind of struggle with erection because I know there are as you know there are a number of things that can play into it right so the the main or the the primary physiological ones are anything that relate to uh, either blood flow or nerve functioning so that includes things like diabetes you know if you're diabetic you're at significantly higher risk for erectile dysfunction due to the potential nerve damage 
And then the other ones are like heart disease, hypertension, high blood pressure. Um, those are all, you know, strong physiological factors that will contribute um, because they affect blood flow and like the quality of your blood transportation and as well as your nerve endings. The other piece is uh, medications. There are a lot of medications that interfere uh, with sexual functioning. Um, you know, lots of antidepressants, some of the hair regrowth medications, even like allergy medications. Um, so these are all things that can interfere on a physiological level. In terms of psychological, you know, the the primary psychological uh, the primary psychological one would be anxiety, but depression can also certainly interfere. Um, performance anxiety and generalized anxiety tend to impact erections the most. I see. And I, one thing that I see that it can be very, very frustrating is that I, I think sometimes when you tell people like there are some psychological component to it, they hear that's not real. I feel like sometimes some clients I work with, they kind of prefer if it was physiological. And I say, right. no, I talked to the urologist, nothing is wrong. And right. it's so hard to kind of think about like psychological reason can significantly improve your sexual functioning for many people. Right. Well, and I think one of the things that's so frustrating about it is if it's not physical, then it means I can't take a pill for it. You know, I have a lot of clients also that get referred from urologists and the, the urologist will say, well, you know, here is Viagra or here is Cialis. You can try it and see if it helps, but I'm telling you there's nothing physically wrong. And so they will, they'll try it and it won't help. <laughs> and, right. um, and, you know, and they'll be very frustrated. And so, you know, and then it leads to even more, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I'm even taking these pills and it's not helping. But the interesting thing about those, um, you know, from what I understand, for what urologists have told me, is that if your anxiety level is high enough, it will override any of those medications. So, you know, if you are really high anxiety, then then first and foremost, the work is going to be reducing the anxiety, you know, and then those medications can do their proper job. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's very challenging to kind of get into sexual mode when you're very anxious and in a fight and flight like kind of mode. Exactly. Exactly. And one thing is that what I see from some of my clients, especially their partner, is that they get very frustrated. They see the issues around erection. They think uh, that their partner is no longer attracted to them. And it, this can turn to a very vicious cycle that impacts their, their sexual life and also their relationship. What is your experience with that? So um, it depends on what stage the relationship is in. For, for most new relationships, I often find that it's actually the opposite. Usually the man is so anxious about pleasing their partner and coming off as a good lover, um, that, you know, their anxiety gets high. And so that tends to be the source of the erectile dysfunction, the performance anxiety. So if the relationship is very new and it's early on, usually I, I like to educate people that it's, it's very much the opposite of what, of, or, you know, educate the partner that it's very much right. the opposite and that it probably has more to do with their level of sort of overexcitement versus underexcitement. There are some cases where, you know, it where it's where it is true that maybe for some reason they're not attracted or 
Um, you know, they want to make it work, but it's it's not the right fit. But more often than not, it has more to do with they they really do like the person and they're just sort of overwhelmed by that feeling. Right. Um, as the relationship progresses, then it can be more of a case of sort of a, a lot. I don't want to say necessarily a loss of interest, but I, I think what I see more often is a loss of communication. You know, because early on there is so much excitement, there is that psychological excitement that helps boost everything. And so, you know, we come back to this idea of needing more of the physical stimuli um, in order to get an erection. And so a lot of couples have difficulty making that transition into, okay, like the initial dopamine rush is gone. You know, how do we continue to keep this exciting? And oftentimes that includes more physical stimuli, but A, a lot of men don't know that, so they don't know to ask for that. And B, it's a shift in like the sexual script. And so it takes talking about. And again, like if you don't know that you need that, then you don't know that you need to talk about it. Absolutely. And I think the education, as you were talking about, it's very, very important because, again, people may think that, okay, my partner is not attracted to me anymore or I'm not as pretty as he used to be. And that's why he's not experiencing the erection or it's not as spontaneous as it was. Exactly, exactly. And then it, you know, and then it may cause the partner to withdraw or, you know, versus moving towards each other and talking about it and discussing. And, and again, like if, if a man doesn't know his, that this is sort of how his body works, if he expects it to work otherwise, then he might withdraw also. And that, you know, that will sort of further the issue. Absolutely. What are some of the common pattern that you see that erectile dysfunctions, issues around erections impact couples' relationships? I mean, some of the most common dynamics are uh, either early on, like I said, early on, sort of the level of overexcitement and so difficulty or fear of wanting to get into a new relationship um, for fear of it happening in the beginning. And then, you know, some of the, in the more long-term couples, yeah, just difficulty uh, maintaining, getting or maintaining an erection. And then the other thing that I do see a fair amount of, you know, which is a little bit controversial at this point in time, is sort of the pornography piece Mm -hmm. uh, and how that affects erections. You know, there are, at this point, there are studies in both directions saying that pornography does affect erections and there are studies saying that it does not. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's no definitive answer just yet. But in my own practice, I do see a lot of partners who, you know, whether it affects their erection or not, it affects their sex life. Um, you know, with one partner, if, if the sex isn't satisfying or um, not even if the sex isn't satisfying, just the element that like watching pornography is easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's a solo act. It can be done whenever you're ready. You know, it can take as little as two minutes or you can, you know, in, depending on how much free time you have, you can indulge for longer. But I often see that sort of creating a wedge in partners' sex lives. Interesting that you said you you kind of aware of the studies on both sides. So I hear... Oftentimes, like the negative side, because it's more just present that like if people do compulsive masturbation. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with indulging on mm-hmm. like a regular basis, but people who engage in kind of obsessive uh, masturbation and how that might impact their 
sexual functioning. But what about the other side of the studies? How can that enhance the relationship? Well, so some of the studies on on the sort of pro-pornography side talk about, um, you know, there's one study that talks about uh, just the increased use of visual of, of visual sexual stimuli, you know, i.e., pornography, increases a person's sexual appetite in general. And so the belief is just sort of the more sex you're having, whether it's sex with yourself or not, will increase your sexual appetite. And so they, you know, that study found that there was no effect on erectile dysfunction, you know, because these were people who were also having more sex with their partners as well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of make it more uh, present in people's mind. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So I'm just kind of curious about, because I know my listeners, many of them, they're probably interested to learn about what are the treatment options? What are some of the, like, is it something that they can kind of dress and get treatment for? Mm-hmm. So, so there is, is certainly sort of the medical options, which range from um, and again, you'd have to speak to your doctor about this in particular, but some of those options include um, taking a, uh, an oral medication like Viagra or Cialis, um, any of those types of medications. Uh, sometimes uh, hormones can be an issue. So if there's a testosterone issue, sometimes that might involve any sort of testosterone replacement therapy, um, which can be oral or like creams. And then there's also sort of at the the highest level, most people try to use this as a last resort, um, but there are injections that you can take um, to create a full erection. So those are sort of the medical options. As it relates to the psychological options, you know, obviously there is sex therapy. And I mean, at least from how I work, that can be, it's generally a combination of looking at your thought process around sex your thoughts around sex, your expectations of yourself, your beliefs around sex, what you've learned, and and sort of trying to re-educate the person if they've learned any sort of misinformation. Like when they're 30, they should be able to get an erection just by thinking about it. Right. Um, so there's this, there's this sort of cognitive behavioral aspect. But then there's also a little bit of a physiological component, uh, particularly in terms of learning how to work with your anxiety. So I do uh, some some visualization techniques. I highly, highly recommend and encourage all my clients to get a meditation practice going. Um, so certainly uh, breath work is important, breathing. Um, learning how to get yourself out of that fight or flight state, because that is the antithesis of an erection, <laughs> really. Right, right. Uh, so any any physiological tools to help calm or soothe them or relax them, super important. Yeah, and, and I do a little bit of somatic work just in terms of like grounding and um you know, trying to, like I said, you know, create some visualizations of moments when they're calm, moments when they feel confident to counterbalance these moments of fear and what if, and, and particularly to help them be present in the moment. Another thing I emphasize a lot is, uh, like I said, being present in the moment. Um, so, you know, when, when we use the word mindfulness, it's a big buzzword right now. And so I try to explain to clients what I mean by that, which is I want them thinking about their five senses. So that means, like, let's say you're having intercourse and you start to lose your erection. 
rather than going into your head about, oh God, what's happening? What do I do? Or sort of all the what ifs. What if I lose it? What if it doesn't mm-hmm. come back? I encourage them to get into their body and in particular into their five senses. So what am I feeling? What am I, like, you know, literally, what am I touching? What am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? In order to get them out of their head and back into their body. Right. And I think that's, those are great recommendations. Definitely mindfulness, because I think overall stress level of the like the communities and patient population we work with, and everyone is so high that impacts all aspects of their lives. Right. So I think definitely mindfulness can bring some additional benefits uh, for clients as well. One thing that's interesting that sometimes I've noticed that my clients, as you were talking about, they're very kind of mindful. Of, they don't want to lose direction. What if that is an issue and when it's an issue? And they kind of like go get to this like fantasy world, which is absolutely okay, but then they're not in the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's, they do opposite of what you're saying. What is right. your thoughts on that? <laughs> that Those are certainly moments where I encourage the mindfulness piece, you know, and And part of that includes, you know, really getting to know themselves sexually. And so, you know, that includes like really getting to know what are their turn ons in the moment, not like what, not the fantasies about like, what if they think about they'll get turned on, but like, when my partner is right in front of me, what do I want to do to them? How do I want to touch them? How do I want them to touch me? You know, how is my body most turned on by my partner? And starting to really develop some awareness around that. So, okay, let's say you're starting to lose some stimulation or some firmness in your erection. That's when you say to your partner, you know, hey, could you play with my nipples right now? Or, hey, you know, can you kiss my neck right now? So you can start to communicate about the in-person things that help you to feel stimulated, connected, and aroused. Right. So kind of like, as as you mentioned earlier as well, communication is so important. And I know many people are struggling to talk about sexuality and sexual related things. So I think if you get comfortable with that and have that conversation, maybe even ahead of time, that can change things drastically. Right, right. And and letting go of the expectation that just because we're having sex, you should be aroused on either end. You know, it, it's it's really important to know that arousal oftentimes, you know, particularly beyond the early days of a relationship, takes work. It takes effort. Right, right. Absolutely. And the other thing that I he- sometimes I experience and I hear from my clients, from my friends, is that the one partner, like, you know, there's an issue with that dynamic of the relationship. So the person is like really into the other partner emotionally, like in all aspects of life. But the sexual, um, there are sexual struggles. And uh, so I'm thinking about in your practice, based on your experience, is that possible for people to kind of work on that and get some results? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a thing called a, uh, a yes, no, maybe list. Um, and it's a kind of extensive list. There's, there's a few different ones of them, you know, circling the internet, if you Google it. 
and it's, you know, this is one tool that I use, but it's, you know, it's a pretty extensive list of just various sexual acts. And I have each partner fill it out and check off, you know, yes, things they're interested in, no things they would never do. And then things that are maybes, um, you know, and so one of the tools is I have the couple come in and, and we sort of compare lists and see things that are yeses or maybes for both of them. And we talk about them and, And so part of it is, you know, helping them to find some common ground, helping them to, you know, connect sexually for some of the things that are maybes, you know, if that means that they've never done them before, trying new things together can always create a a new level of excitement. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of times what happens is, is that over time when couples get in the routine of you know, sort of the business aspect of the relationship. We own a home together or we pay bills together or we raise children together. You know, you can get really focused on that and you start to see your partner only in that light and you forget that they're a sexual being. So part of it is just sort of unearthing or not unearthing, but sort of reconnecting with you know, the sexual aspect of the relationship and, and reconnecting with my partner as a sexual being with wants and desires as am I and starting to, you know, like I said, like reconnect on that level and, and talk about those things again. Absolutely. Kind of bringing some excitement and new ideas because as you were talking about the education, unfortunately, many couples, many individuals, they think that their level of like sexual arousal needs to be the same throughout like different decades of their lives with the same partner. So it's, it can be very empowering to see that not, not, not necessarily that's not the case. And what can they do to regain their sexual energy? Right. And, and the other thing that you, that you bring up, which is a great point also is that like, particularly for long-term couples, people's bodies change over time. So, you know, what may have worked a year ago, you know, they may not be interested in anymore. You know, they may have discovered this other thing that they really like. And, and if you're operating on the assumption of, oh, well, my partner really likes their nipples played with, you know, but you know, what about tickling their lower back? Like, right? you know, so, so there, there starts to be a lot of assumptions around how to be sexual with each other and the sex can become routine as a result. So it, it is important to continuously check in about, you know, what are your turn-ons and what are your turn-offs because those definitely can change over time. Right. As, as I'm hearing, it sounds like it needs to be an ongoing conversation versus once they're doing Absolutely. the exercise and using it as a template for decades to come. Right, right. How long does it take for, obviously, it depends on like the condition, but what is usually the course of treatment? Like, you know, you would say on average for someone who's struggling with erectile dysfunction, because I know the reason I'm asking is like people kind of want to come in once or twice and they think like, you know, there's this sense of urgency. So I want to, I think it's helpful if we have some kind of framework. You know, it, it really depends, you know, if it is a person who has never struggled with any sort of mental health issues and it is a one-off, you know, they, they lost their erection once and they're really worried about it. Like I said, no mental health issues, no family history of mental health, um, no other real relationship problems. You know, I've, I've had clients who, you know, one or two sessions of just talking about it and getting some 
getting their information strained out has been helpful. You know, sometimes that can take closer to six to eight sessions. You know, one or two might be an anomaly, but um, it can be closer to six to eight weeks. Where it gets complicated is if, you know, A, how long the person's been struggling with erectile dysfunction, you know, sort of how deeply ingrained the, the, the negative thoughts or the negative patterns are. B, if they have their own mental health struggles, like if they struggle with anxiety in general, you know, that it's, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, C, if there are any relational problems that are contributing, you know, these are all things that will certainly extend the amount of time necessary to, to treat or, you know, address the issues. Great. And I think that it is very important, as you said, that for people to kind of think about the issues around erectile dysfunction as a possibly multi-layer thing, as you were talking about. Maybe yeah. it's a relational, maybe it's physiological, maybe it's psychological. So it's right. very helpful for them to kind of like, if it's an ongoing issue, to get support around that. Right, right. I mean, like if this is something they've been struggling with for, you know, three to five years, it's not going to go away. You know, I mean, maybe it will. <laughs> it would be lovely if it went away right. in eight weeks, but it's, you know, it, it, it's tough to, to have that timeline. Absolutely. I've noticed we are toward the end of our time, Natalie. I I know you have your wealth of great knowledge around this area, and I bet many of our listeners would like to kind of reach out to you. What would be the best way for them to contact you? So the best way to contact me uh, is generally via email. My email is natalie at creatingchangela.com. That's LA as in Los Angeles. Uh, Yeah, or they can contact me through my website. Great. I'll make sure I put uh, both those information and show notes so people would be able to, if they're driving or they don't have time (laughs) handy, they can get a hold of you that way. Thank you so much for your time. It was absolutely a pleasure and hope I will connect in future. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and you were able to kind of pick up some good tips and tools on how to address the struggles you have around erection and erectile dysfunction. At the end, I wanted to talk about, yes, as Natalie was talking earlier, people's anxiety and depression can be cause of erectile dysfunctions, issues around sexuality, but Equally important is how issues around sexual performance and erectile dysfunction can lead to low self-esteem, can decrease your quality of life. And I wanted to also remind you, it's sometimes it's very easy to address. So if you're struggling, if that's an area that you feel you need some guidance, it's good to reach out to professional. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Appreciate if you show us some love by writing reviews on iTunes and subscribing to this show. I'm looking forward to talk to you next week. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.